what it says I can do. And I can be who it says I can be. Today, I will be taught the word of God. I boldly declare. My heart is receptive. My mind is alert. My ears are open. And I better not go to sleep. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it falls on good ground. Amen. All right, so I wanted to, we want to, we're in this series, right? This worship series. We're continuing. We're, we're developing a people of praise. We're developing a people who want to draw close to God. We're training you in worship because worship is so important to functioning as a believer. We started out the very first week when I taught you that we were created in God's image. And therefore, the environment that we thrive most in is a spiritual environment because we were created just in his image. We went through and talked about um, praise and what the things that it can do, that it can bring deliverance and it can bring revelation. And, you know, we talked about Jehoshaphat. We talked about the Acts 16 and when Paul and Silas were in prison. We kind of went through some of those, some of those dynamics. And so now that we know how to praise, now we know how to worship physically because we talked about worship being the bridge between earth and heaven. When earth needs to touch heaven, it does that through the currency of worship. When earth needs to get heaven's attention, we do that through worshiping and praising God, through invoking the presence of God through our worship. Well, now I want to talk to you about when heaven touches earth. When heaven touches earth. And what do we need to do in order to have a consistent life of heaven touching earth. So I'm coming to you from the topic of being undistracted. Undistracted. You know, when we worship and we come together in a corporate setting, and we understand that when we talk about a corporate setting, you can relate this to your personal worship life, right? But we're talking about a corporate setting because we are a corporate people. When we come to church, and people come to church for different reasons, they check it off their list, they're used to coming, they really want an encounter with God, they gave God some trouble last week and are trying to make up for it. I mean, there are all these reasons why we come to church. Like, God, I promise, I promise now. Woo! If you just save me out of this thing tomorrow, I'll be at church on Sunday. There are things that we do like that, right? Well, when we come, one thing we must not mistake We must not confuse uniformity with unity. Uniformity is everyone doing the same thing. But unity is everyone having the same heart. And we can be in uniformity coming here and worshiping and doing acts of worship. But if we don't have the same heart, the presence of God comes where there is unity, not where there is uniformity. When we, they built the Tower of Babel, they came with one heart and one mind and they were able to build it. The book in Psalms says what? That the anointing flows from the head when there's unity. How good and pleasant it is for us to dwell together in unity. It's like the anointing that falls on. So unity in a marriage. When you touch and agree on anything, it shall be done. We can be uniform but not in unity. But when we get in unity, heaven touches earth. So, 
it's not the unity, it's not the uniformity, but the unity that gets heaven's attention. So we have to set our hearts upon him. Worship brings focus. Worship brings focus. And focus is needed for intervention. Focus is needed in worship. You see, there's a difference between singing and being focused. You see, singing just uses your ability or lack thereof. In my case. But focus requires heart and intent, intentional, deliberate action. My husband's number one gift is focus. My number 100th gift is focus. How we have stayed married for 25 years is a, it's called miracle. He can just make a decision and do something. And he can just block things out and be zoned in so much you don't even, he, he can't hear you. You know people like that, you're talking to them? Evan, Evan, Evan. Evan, why are you yelling at me? Well, it's 15 times, but he's so zoned in that he can focus on laser, laser his attention on one thing that everything else doesn't, doesn't play into it. Where for me, it's a whole nother story. I'm going to the car. I promise that's where I am going. But I see so many other things along the way that are exciting to me. It's like Candyland. Oh, look at that chocolate. That's what I mean. Sweet, did you get the thing out of the car? I'm going there. I am. I promise. Not tomorrow, sweet, today. But if it was him, he'd just go to the car. Well, when it comes to worship, distractions are our enemy. And focus is our friend. Focus is the deliberate concentration of our desire to the point that it drowns out distractions. What is distracting? Distractions mean... When you're distracted, the definition says you're unable to concentrate because one's mind is preoccupied. So when you come to church and I come to church on Sunday, distraction is, oh my gosh, I forgot to turn off the oven before I left. Distraction is, oh, I didn't eat, so what am I going to eat? Where should I go? Woo, when it comes to 1230, I'm going to get to go to. Distraction. Distraction is, while we're in church, we're, 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 we're planning, we're writing down notes of tomorrow's task list. Distraction is we're in a space of worship and a time of worship. And what we're thinking about is, oh my gosh, I forgot to put that application. Man, I, I didn't do that assignment. Whoa, is my job going to call me? That's distraction because we are in a time of worship. We only have a limited time that we corporately come to worship. But during that time, we over there, we on Twitter, we we um, playing games, Candy Crush, whatever we kind of do. You know, in the middle of worship, distracting. And we wonder why there is a breach. And we cannot reach heaven. And heaven has no interest in reaching us because they cannot find a familiar place. It's looking, Pastor Che talked about last week, Eden being an environment of worship, being an environment of a place that, you know, God will locate that space where he is exalted, where he is lifted up, he will find that. But where he is not paid attention to, well, there's no reason to pay attention to that. Distraction. So if we're going to focus our intention, there are three things we must accept. Listen, the first thing we must accept for all of you who'd like to take notes We must accept that there's a spiritual regiment. We are spirit beings who live in a spiritual realm. So there's a spiritual regiment required of us. 
There are requirements that we must fulfill. So one of the requirements is to worship. Two, we have a scriptural reason for worship. There's a history, there's a book of Psalms, there's a foundation in the Bible that shows us that we have a scriptural reason for worshiping. Number three, we have a sovereign right. God, There's a sovereign right on God's behalf to determine how worship should be done. He has the right to set the criteria for worship. Not us. There's a sovereign right. When I come into the space of worship, when I am coming to worship, I understand one, that it is my spiritual regimen. It's a duty. It's a responsibility. It's a way that I'm supposed to do. Two, there's scriptural reasoning for it. God has laid out in his Bible. But number three, God has a particular set criteria for worshiping. And when we do not meet that criteria, that is not on God's fault. That is on our disobedience. God has the right to set the criteria by which he chooses to get involved or not. That's why we are not moved by what we see, but by what we believe, by our faith. Because Jesus could not do many miracles in Canaan. Why? Not because there was not miracles to be done. Not because there were not sick people. Not because there was not a need, but because there was not any faith. There was not enough faith there to activate to that connection. So Jesus said, you know, the Bible says that he couldn't do much there because they were of little faith. They did not respect him. They did not honor him. There was no receptivity to it. There was a criteria. If God is going to perform a miracle, it has to be done by faith. If God is going to financially bless you, there is a criteria. It has to be based on biblical financial principles. If God's presence is going to be in a place or in your space, not his omnipresence because he's everywhere, but you're talking about that, that tangible personal sitting, that Shekinah glory presence of God. If it's going to reside in a place or dwelling a place, then there is a criteria for it. God has the right to set that criteria, whether he's going to get involved with a personal region or a country situation. For example, 2 Chronicles 7.14 says this, If my people, there's an if, if my people who are called by my name, if they do these things, if they'll humble themselves, if they will seek my face, if they will call my name and turn away from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. So God has a criteria. You want me to heal America? I'm telling you the formula. You want me to heal the world? I'm telling you the formula. You have to seek my faith. You have to turn from your wicked ways. He has given us the criteria for him getting involved in a nation. Well, he's given us the criteria here in Exodus 23 verse 5. It says this. You shall worship the Lord your God and his blessing will be on your food and your water. I will take sickness away from you. How do we want the blessing of God on our food and our water and sickness to be taken away from us? He gives us a criteria, worship. So when we are entering the presence of God, we have to be focused. So what steals our focus? One, adverse situations. Adverse situations. Adverse situations. When things happen... And we absorb them to the point of shame. Listen, 1 Samuel 12.20 says this. Don't be afraid, Samuel reassured them. 
you have certainly done wrong. But make sure now that you worship the Lord with all your heart and don't turn your back on him. When we come into an adverse situation, for example, a person may lose their job. So they lose their ability in that, in that moment to make money, to pay their bills. The spirit of shame or the feeling of shame can come upon you. To make you feel less than, I'm not providing for my family. Man, I'm, I'm out here. How am I, you know, people want to invite me to dinner, but I can't. I have to say no. I am feeling this shame, but I am not ashamed until I accept the shame. You understand? So shame will come to separate us. And it steals our focus because instead of us focusing on what God can provide and do, we are focusing on the shame of the situation, the shame that we have endured. You understand? When, 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 when something happens that maybe in this case with Israel, Israel had wanted a king. They had begged for a king and God wasn't excited about that. And so Samuel said, you know what? You didn't do right. You did not do the right thing. But there's a remedy out of this. If you will worship the Lord your God, this shame... This shame thing here, it will not be able to separate you. So when an adverse situation comes up, it is there to steal our focus. Somebody lets you down. Somebody walks out on you. Somebody trips you up. There's a car accident. There's a health issue. Distractions to take away your focus from worshiping because now you're going to use that energy to try and fix your situation. You're going to use your energy to try and get the right connection. You're going to use your right energy to research. And you're going to panic mode trying to figure a way out instead of trying to figure the way up. So, adverse situations steals our focus. Attacks from people steal our focus. What people say, how people feel. But you, you already know. You have to absorb it in your heart. You'll never be able to please everybody. And those who cry, Hosanna today, cry, crucify tomorrow. Those who love you for what they can get from you, hate you when you start saying no. So people are fickle because the heart is exceedingly wicked and deceitful above all else. Who can know it, says the word. So that's why we don't trust in man. We trust in God. Though we can trust people, we trust in God. So people will always find something that can be wrong. Not all people, not all the time. But if you and I are living for the applause of people, we will never get the approval of God. Because we'll always be switching to satisfy that person and switching to satisfy that person. When really, worship brings us into the presence of God and God can require out of us, out of our hearts, what he wants to change out of our character, what we need to develop. That happens in worship. The third thing that steals our focus... Is adoring ourselves. We love ourselves now. We do. We, we love ourselves. And because we don't really sit down there and just say, Oh, I am so amazing. Well, I do. But okay, so. All right. Like you normal people who don't do that to yourself. We show our love for ourselves when we think ourselves more highly than we ought. It says, listen, think highly of yourself, but not more than you ought to. Not more than you ought to. And so when we do that, then we can't come into worship and be humble before the Lord. Because supposing, you know, someone sees me or I am too good for that. Or do you know what position I hold? I, I'm not doing that. 
raising my hand kind of business in front of other people. Uh, are you kidding me? No, I don't do that. I don't raise my hand for nobody. You know, we have all these internal, I am not going to's. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not washing nobody's windows. I'm not cleaning nobody's toilets. I'm not, I'm all these I'm nots. When the Bible says in Matthew 20, 20, that Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. A servant. The Bible calls us slaves to Christ. He said, we must die to ourselves. All of these things that, that we are supposed to abandon, the things that we hold dear, that restrict us from worship. And be able to come into the presence of God. But we must be focused when we come to worship God. Because focused worship brings success. Whenever you see a successful person, there's a focused person. A focused person is a successful person. You can, be, you can have fun and be focused. I'm focused on having fun right now. When we go on vacation, we all have different focuses in my family. So, you know, when you guys do family vacations, you may do it a different way. The Connor family is, you know, our rule on vacation is whatever you, you like to do on vacation is your vacation. That's for real, though. So all this, everybody going together at Disneyland every day, that we don't do that on our vacation because everybody don't want to do that. So you're like, well, what do y'all do? I'm going to tell you what we do. I'm not saying you're supposed to do this because, I mean, we're just weird that way. So we negotiate. If it's a seven-day vacation, we get two days that Pastor Evan will come out of his hut. Two out of seven. This is the two days that he will leave the property. And go do something that is out of his comfort zone. Like, you know, we may take him to go. We took him to this. Um, you didn't get out the boat, did you? No, you just, you just sat in there. You know what? I want to pray for you. But uh, so we went to this place and it has like all this um, silt in Jamaica. And it has, um, when you go into the water, into this, into this particular place, only two or three places in the world have it. You go at night and the... The, the silt from the mountain coupled with the, the ocean water comes into this lagoon kind of space. And when you step on the floor, it feels like Play-Doh. But when you come out, your whole body is fluorescent blue. It's just glistening and sparkling. Well, he came out for that. But Pastor Evan's idea of a vacation is to do absolutely what? And when I legitimately mean he does what? He's focused on doing what? Okay, like I was in Jamaica over here working last week, you saw, you know, and uh, we went to vacate on the first part, like a couple of days. And then, you know, we were like, so babe, don't ask me, I'm not working. I'm not working. Well, I didn't, I was, whatever you're going to ask, if it involves any thinking, any working, any, any walking, moving, I'm not doing it. That's what he likes to do. Me, I like to run the streets. I'm on the first taxi. I'm on the first cab. I'm on the bus. Peace. Heaven, she's both. So I can drag her out. Landon, he's going to do whatever I want him to do, but he really likes just sitting down there with his father. I don't, so you see, we have to, there are things that we like to do, and you can focus on doing that and still get energy and replenishment. When we come into worship, we have to be intentional like we are on a vacation. We have to be intentional like we are with our savings plans. We have to be intentional like we have to, when we have to go get our tire fixed. How we focus and get that done when it's time for worship. Listen, it's focus time. We got to get that done. First Kings 18, 21. I love this. Elijah was 
was, 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 was in the situation with King Ahab. And it had been a famine for three years. And first the plants had died. And in the, the second year the animals had died. And now the third year the people were dying. And so it was a very big uh, problem. And so Elijah had been, you know, missing, um, you know, on the scene. And finally he came. And he said to, you know, one of the other prophets, this guy who was hiding prophets. He said, listen, go and tell Ahab that I'm here. He said, you want me to die? You want me to, you know, get killed? They've been looking for you all over the place. And you have nowhere to be found. And he said, well, tell him I'm here now. And so they come and they have this big, you know, face-off, you know, this big dance-off between the two gods, you know. And so Baal has all his 450 prophets and Elijah says, you know, listen, I'm the only prophet here, you know, representing my God, but I'm here. But he addressed the people in, verse, in chapter 18, verse 21. And Elijah challenged the people saying, how long are you going to sit on the fence? If God is the real God, Follow him. If it's Baal, follow him, but make up your mind. And God is saying you can't be focused on two different gods. Either you're going to serve God, Jehovah, or you're going to serve God of money, or you're going to serve God of your flesh, or you're going to serve something else. But you're going to serve something. And you're going to serve somebody. But God is challenging us, Word of Truth Family Church, to be a people who decide to really serve God, to really worship God, where there's no ifs and buts about it, that there's no um, you know, qualms about it, there's no guessing about it. They know you serve God. They know I worship God. It's clear. It's not even wishy-washy, watered down. It's not in hiding. No, they're clear. That person over there at Word of Truth, they serve God. They worship God. How do you know? Because in their marriage, they worship God when there's a problem they don't just give up and walk out no they serve God because they say and they say listen what is God saying for this situation oh I serve God but you don't obey him you're kidding you're kidding yourself you can read your Bible till kingdom come but until you obey it means nothing action don't mean that you're being accurate in what you're doing and so what is God saying to us today we got to get focused There has to be a clear line because focused worship will bring success. When you and I decide to do it, it brings swift success. The book of Acts chapter 12, Peter was put in prison by by Herod who had just killed James, the brother of John, you know, that disciple that Jesus loved. And he realized that he could have gotten a better reaction if he got Peter. So he went and arrested Peter. This is Herod. And he planned to kill Peter right after Passover. So what happened though? The church. The church got focused. And the Bible says the church started praying. Well, prayer is an act of worship. Because prayer says... I am the lesser, you are the greater. I understand I need you to intervene. I am beseeching you, I'm asking you. That is what prayer is. Prayer understands that, listen, it's a humility position. When you pray, you humble yourselves. So prayer is an act of worship. And the Bible says that the whole church came together with focused prayer. And an angel of the Lord came into the prison cell and unloosed the bands that were holding Peter. And Peter walked straight out of jail. And nobody could find him. But what happened after that? That's because of focused prayer. Success. A short time later in the same chapter, 
Herod is puffing up himself and exalting himself. And the angel of the Lord, this is what the scripture says, verse 23, Acts 12. Right away, an angel of the Lord struck Herod down. Herod did not give praise to God. So he was eaten by worms and died. See, we play, we playing with this stuff, you see, man. We playing. We playing. See, we playing for real. You know, had an Ananias and Sapphira thing coming to church. Had one day, we just in the middle of worship. And we're in the middle of our giving campaign or something. This is what was happening in the book of Acts. You know, and Ananias came up here and he said, boy, you know, I pledged. This is what happened. Go read it in Acts. Ananias and Sapphira. Okay. And Ananias came and, you know, everybody put their little project 360 pledge together. And they said, woo, I'm, you know, they were feeling the moment. So they're like, yeah, I'm going to give 10,000. And, you know, somebody was like, yeah, I'm going to give 100,000. Somebody said, I'm going to give 1,000, whatever it was. And so Ananias come up now and it's time to pay the pledge. And, you know, like, where's the pledge? And Ananias, well, you know what? I'll tell you what. Um, woo, I did. I, I gave it. I gave $300. But Ananias, that was not what you pledged. Yeah, but still, you know, it's kind of, it's all right, though. I still spot God something. I still can. Halfway did a, a good job. If right in that moment, Ananias and his wife would just keel over and drop dead in front of us, we would be so scared. No, no, tell the truth. Y'all be like, dear Jesus, I don't know what went on up in this church. Hallelujah. But that's what was happening in the book of Acts. It happened right there because they lied to the Holy Ghost. They made a pledge and didn't fulfill it. Well, Herod was supposed to be here protecting the people and he exalted himself and well, it said he was eaten by worms and died. So we think that God, there's only this, this justice, wonderful part. No. If we come from under the banner of obedience, we open up ourselves to assault and attack. Swift success. We talked about Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles 20. And I love it. Verse 22 says, The moment they began their shouts and praises, the Lord sent an ambush. The moment you begin to open your praise and your mouth, because you, whatever you're speaking, you have to be thinking. Like you can try, try, try it. Like I have to keep my thoughts together to speak to you. I cannot be thinking and speaking. It doesn't work. So when we praise, when we speak, when we activate our faith through the words of our mouth in worship, we bring focus into worship. So Jehoshaphat had gotten deliverance right then and there, the beginning of their praise. And then I love this one in 1 Samuel 30. David and his men had come to Ziklag. And when they had come to Ziklag, they realized that their enemies had come in and ravished their entire property, took their wives, took their children, enslaved them and captured them. The Bible says that they were so distraught. Everyone was weeping and crying. Listen to what it says, because some of you have been in this kind of situation before where you get to this place. Verse 4. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept. Listen to this. Until they had no more power to weep. You just don't have no, you don't even have a tear left. You have no more breath left. You have no more energy left. When those situations come where you just, you can't, all you can do is stutter. Because it literally leaves you breathless. So devastating. The people wanted to stone David. They wanted to turn against David. And the Bible says in verse 6, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. 
How did he encourage himself in the Lord? Your wives are gone. Your children are gone. Your cattle are gone. Your food is gone. It's ravished. You're left with nothing. And you're responsible for all these people who have lost everything too. How are you going to find encouragement in that situation? You have to focus encouragement, inner courage. What did David do? The Bible says, David called for the ephod, which is a garment of praise. It is what the priests would wear when they were worshiping. It is what the people would put on when it was time to worship God. When they were bringing up the Ark of the Covenant, David was in a linen ephod. When he was here, he brought up an ephod. He put on the right attitude, the right dress clothes, the right frame mind of worship. And the Bible says that when he began to worship God, that God said to him, listen here. He inquired of God and said, God, what should I do? This is so bad. But he was in that place of worship, in that environment of worship. He said, God, what should I do? Should I go up? I mean, how do you even find the energy to say, should I still pursue them? Because what? In the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand, pleasures forevermore. The joy of the Lord is your strength. When you and I get into that place of worship, there's a supernatural strength that begins to come on the inside of you. And those things that were meant to devastate you, they now begin to drive you to go forward. And you get to inquire of God and you say, God, listen, I don't know where the strength is coming from. I've lost everything back here, but God, there's a strength on the inside coming because I've put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I have by an act of my mouth said, I will not be discouraged. I will not be moved. Nothing by any means shall harm me. God, if you're with me, I know you'll, I'll make it. God, I know you'll calm the floods for me. I know you'll straighten up things for me. And so he went and he said, God, what should I do? And God said, pursue them. You will recover all. Everything you think you lost. Everything shame tried to take from you. Everything blame tried to take from you. Everything adversity tried to take from you. Everything poverty tried to take from you. God is saying, if you put on the garment of praise, you will recover all. Your latter days will be better than your former days. Because we can be faithful like Job. How did Job make it? Worship. He refused to let go of the hand of God. He refused to let go of the promises of God. He refused to let go of his victories that he experienced with God before. He refused to forget God. But when we go through situations, remember the enemy is there to distract us. Because distraction brings division. And whenever there's division, you'll make a decision. And remember, decision is a part of the word is to decide. And decide is as the same word as homicide. There's something that will die when you choose. When I make a decision to choose worship, I'm choosing not to be in my flesh. When I make a decision to give on to God, I'm choosing not to give on to myself. When I make a decision to love my wife, I'm making a decision not to not love my wife. You see, whenever you make a decision, something else dies for something to live. So you have to make a decision today. You have to make the decision to not be frivolous but focused in your worship. That you can't just haphazardly come into the house of God, rolling up here like you're going to the club. No. We, we're not in no club. And I know all these 
different people, you know, talk about, well, you know, we want to be, we can club with God and all that. Listen, this is a holy thing. Sometimes we want to make holy things down here. We want to make sacred things ordinary. No, no, sacred is sacred. Holy is holy. It's not half holy. It's holy, holy. God is not like when we say, oh, she's a little pregnant. No, for him, it's like you're all the way in or you're all the way out. In the Revelation book, it tells you, listen, if you're lukewarm, if you cannot decide, if you cannot make up your mind, if you're going to be hot and cold, if you're going to be in and out, the book of Revelation says this, I will spit you out. But we don't want to hear that kind of message. I understand we want to hear about love of Jesus. I get it. I get it. You get that when pastor come back. But today, Today, God is telling you, it's time to man up. Time to get focused. Stop playing. If we're going to be Christians, be Christians. If we're going to be saved, be saved. You can be cool and saved, but you don't need to compromise to be cool. Be undistracted. Get rid of any impediments the enemy is putting in your way. Because remember, it's just to stop you. It's, that's what a hurdle does. It's just supposed to slow you down. But listen here, if I didn't have all these cute heels, because listen, my little rack in my closet broke. That's why I have on my little dress-up outfit today, because my clothes are crushed up. <laughs> yeah, I know I look like I'm going to the banquet of the fourth convention. I get it. But a hurdle, had I had on a regular outfit, I'd have jumped the hurdle for you. But a hurdle in a race is there to slow you down. But if you learn to jump through worship, your stride won't stop. But it's when you get distracted. You ever see those people jump too quick? Or, or they stop right before you? Ever, I've seen it on those races. Lightning didn't practice jumping hurdles. As if they didn't have no training in jumping hurdles. They go and it look like it's a new hurdle. It's the same hurdle you've been practicing this morning from. But you know what? The situation is different. You may have taken a different vitamin. Somebody may have given you a phone call. You've gotten something. You got up to that hurdle and you thought and you tripped. But God is saying, even in your tripping out, like Samuel says, I understand. But if you worship, if you return to worship and make a decision. So that's what I'm asking you today. That's what I'm asking myself and what God is asking us. Can we be focused in a distracting situation. Yes we can because David did it. Yes we can because Jesus did it. He stayed focused on what he needed to do. Even though what he needed to do was not the most comfortable thing. Or something he even wanted to do. But he stayed focused. In spite of Peter cutting off the man's ear. And Jesus had to do a last minute healing. To the person that about to put him to prison. Preach that. That's what worship will do for you. It gives you good success. It gives you quick success. Because we're in a place, an environment where we thrive the most. We're in a place where we focus. We're in a place where we can hear from God. And a place that we can dwell in God. So if you would just bow your heads. Let's just pray. Some of you have to make decisions. You can take this message for worship. You can also take this message for whatever situation you're in. You have to make a decision. 
And the decision that I'm asking you to make tonight or today is to decide to make Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior once and for all. Don't buy the trick of the enemy that you have to be perfect. You have to know exactly what you're doing.